The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is columnist for the Washington Post and the author of the new book, The Destructionist. Dana Milvink is here. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Zerlina. Good to be with you. Um, as I was saying in the last hour, I mean, it's so funny to think about Donald Trump being caught up in a sort of legal uh, morass over his mishandling of classified information. Like as a former Hillary staffer, the the poetry in motion there is just a little <laughs> too rich for me. Um, but I also just, you know, I'm thinking back to last Monday night in those maybe like 20 minutes or so after the guy Peter down in Florida was like the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago and everybody was trying to figure out which investigation <laughs> right. uh, the search was a part of, like, which felony investigation is this related to? We're not sure. There are several. Um, yes. When we you, had when to, you think... we had, they had to do a chart in the Washington right. Post. Right. Like, yeah. That's crazy, first of all, just like full stop. Um, but when you think about where we are, how important in your view, I mean, you wrote a whole book about it, but how important in your view it, is it for American voters to understand how we got here to, to this place of you know, the former president having, you know, five different grand juries. Right. Well, I think it's crucially important because it explains where we are and even more importantly, where we're going and uh, the the jeopardy uh, that we're in. I mean, the the legal uh, vulnerability that Trump may or may not not have is only, you know, a small piece of it. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm much more concerned about uh, his his general threats to democracy, of which the legal component uh, is just one. But uh, yeah, I mean, the the whole notion uh, of, of the book is to go back a quarter century, back to Newt Gingrich, to Karl Rove, uh, Sarah Palin, uh, Mitch McConnell, and others that sort of created this party that Donald Trump basically uh, inherited. He was really reflecting what the party was rather than the other way around. He didn't uh, create this. He was uh, a symptom of it. Um, and that's this sickness that we're, we're seeing right now, whether it's uh, in the, uh, the 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 myriad legal morasses uh, or the uh, calls to violence uh, after the search uh, in Mar-a-Lago, uh, and you know this uh, proliferation of extraordinarily extreme uh, candidates and Republican nominees who are essentially anti-democratic, who are mm-hmm. you know uh, election deniers. I mean, you mentioned Sarah Palin. I was talking obviously about the fact that she's you know she's back on the scene. Um, But also, in a lot of ways, you know, Trump didn't invent, um, you know, some of the rhetoric and just even the tone um, that we're seeing now. He, as you said, reflected it. And it it goes back to Sarah Palin, but even before that, to Newt Gingrich. And I want to read a quote um, from Newt Gingrich. This is Newt Gingrich um, introducing himself 
um, back in the 90s when he, you know, was the leader of the Republican Revolution. And this is one of the quotes that you cite. The fact is that America is in trouble. It is impossible to maintain American civilization with 12-year-olds having babies, 15-year-olds killing each other, 17-year-olds dying of AIDS, and 18-year-olds getting diplomas they can't even read. And it feels to me like Donald Trump could have said that. Like, that sounds almost like his, you know, march down the escalator. Um, Mexicans um, are rapists and some of them are nice people. I mean, speak to the way in which Newt Gingrich is the entry point for really the destruction <laughs> yeah, um, of yeah. our of our discourse and and right. our function the functionality yeah. of congress yeah i mean you know that that speech was very much donald trump's american carnage speech mm-hmm. just delivered uh, a quarter century before uh it was this idea of desperation that you know we're in these uh, terrible straits we hear still hear the same things from newt gingrich now but they're just it's just not uh, revolutionary anymore but it was at the time this idea of you know talking about your political opponents as your enemies as traitors to the united states uh, who are ab- abusing their power it was an entirely revolutionary thing and of course there's some coded and not so coded uh, racist language in there uh, we saw the beginnings of that uh, with newt uh, you know, it, it, shortly after the Republican Revolution, we had a lot of inflammatory, violent rhetoric, and that was the era leading up to the Oklahoma City bombing, another big moment of uh, anti-government uh, hysteria in our culture. You know, and all of these things it really came about with Newt, with uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh on the radio, introducing a whole new tone and a whole new bitterness and dysfunction into our politics. And yeah, you and you mentioned uh, Sarah Palin, who may may indeed, indeed be back in Congress, of course, or, or be in Congress uh, uh, now. But uh, in a way, she's, you know, the party's passed her in terms of uh, various iterations of crazy. So she would have some catching up to do to get to the Marjorie Taylor Greens. But <laughs> she was, you know, she was the one who uh, coined the death panels, that mm-hmm. completely false notion uh, during the Obamacare debate that, you know, they were going to have government uh, bureaucrats killing off grandma. Um, and and uh, she was very instrumental in the whole birther libel against uh, Barack Obama. Uh, these are all um, antecedents to what uh, Trump did a few years later when he took the reins of the Republican Party. Uh, but he was very much, as you said, reflecting what was already there rather than creating something new. And you mentioned that he talked about Democrats as an enemy. And I feel like that's that's the piece of this that we probably don't talk enough about. You know, yeah. like I know that there's a lot of like, you know, analysts, we use sports metaphors. I try to shy away from them as much as possible because I'm like, this isn't a game. You know, I, I, I applaud that. Stick. I try so hard. But, you know, sometimes, you know, we're on there. We're like, you know, who's up, who's down, who's winning, who's losing. We talk about it like it's a game. Yeah. Um, but but Newt, even beyond that, talks about Democrats like they're enemies. I mean, speak to this idea that that the the pathway to violence is straight like that there's a straight line from that sort of dehumanizing rhetoric 
Absolutely. Acts. Absolutely. So, and when the Republican Revolution happened in 94, it was basically a transfer of generational power, too. So you had the greatest generation that had been in control for a long period of time. Now, they fought in World War II together. They know that the guy across the aisle from them is not his enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they fought the enemy together. Uh, they're political opponents. They disagree. Yeah, they can be at each other's throats rhetorically, but then they're going to sit down and work things out and have an agreement. Uh, Newt, uh, uh, you know, uh, avoided service in Vietnam, uh, and he was a cultural warrior. You know, he brought the the culture wars of the 1960s basically to the uh, halls of Congress, uh, and your opponent was your enemy. He talked about politics as war. Uh, He said the real problem with the Republican Party is they don't teach you to be nasty enough, and he said about uh, changing that. But this whole idea of uh, you know you, that your opponent is something other that they are evil uh, that uh, they are traitors to the United States it makes it much easier to you know for the unhinged to be violent it certainly makes it uh, much easier to basically bring government to a halt if you believe that the the, the people governing the country are evil traitors uh, so that explains a lot of the dysfunction we have it explains a lot of the bitterness that we have uh, and uh, it's uh, it, it's very much with us and it's gotten worse and worse. And of course, Newt Gingrich is out there on Fox News regularly uh, teaching us yet more how to uh, destroy each other. There were also things beyond rhetoric that he did too, right? Weren't there like weird thing? He he didn't know, there were no more like family dinners with with people who were on the other side of the aisle, like no kids were having play dates, like they were locking people sure. out of, of the committee rooms. I mean, there were also sort of like the petty shenanigans too, right? Yeah, and this was also a time when it, it, he made it uh, so that it was essentially forbidden to move your family to Washington. The idea is that you'd come on Tuesday and leave on Thursday and, you know, get out of the devil city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result of this, you know, nobody got to see political opponents as human beings with whom you were having a drink or playing cards or your 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 kids and your spouses knew each other that all disappeared and that became part of the dehumanizing uh, effect uh, it, you know it was an anti washington uh, idea but it basically prevented uh, the the glue that had held the country and the congress together for a long period of time and it allowed you to see Uh, your opponent as the enemy. It was done in many, many uh, different ways. It feels um, funny to even think about the fact that like he was like, you can't even hang out. You can't hang out. I mean, you're an enemy to the point where you can't hang out. I mean, I don't know. And any other job, that would be really strange. Right. (laughs) Why would why would you want to sit down with a traitor to the United States of America? You'd want to fight them with everything you've got. You'd want to it would drive you uh, to a point of desperation. That's why you see uh, the rage. Uh, and you know, you know, a big part of this was this was also a time of uh, uh, racial transformation within yep. the parties. That you know, the Democrats, when Newt came into power, lost their Southern majority, which had been that segregationist uh, uh, Southern Democrats. Uh, and this was sort of the the fruits emerging of. The, the 1960s laws and Richard Nixon's uh, Southern strategy. And essentially, the Republican Party at that time became uh, a representative of white people, but more important than that, white grievance, the idea that they were losing their country to a new multicultural America. Uh, so that, you know, that really accelerated under Newt Gingrich. And of course, 
has has gotten worse and worse as we uh, come to approach a, a time in this country when it's going to be a white minority. Yeah, I mean, the book that I wrote, The End of White Politics, is based on that premise, but it's mostly about the Democrat Party. Um, and I like that you um, are talking uh, about this, but but the from from the perspective and focusing on what's happening in the Republican Party, because my my whole point was like the Republicans are they understand the demographic shifts. They they fully understand it and they're behaving as if they understand that Democrats are not. <laughs> so that I wrote yeah. a whole book about that. Um, but but right. to your point, I think, um, you know, them leaning into the white identity politics um, of, you know, articulating basically that if if black and brown people are going to get something, then then you're losing something. You're losing mm-hmm. something tangible. Um, and, you know, it's a shame that that line works on people, given the fact that um, corporations are robbing all of us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> um, that's a focus, Erlina, focus. Um, one of the things that you talk about is that just the January 6th wasn't an isolated event in in the sense that the incitement to violence predates that um, and also is continuing. I mean, just in the last week since the search at Mar-a-Lago, it has been it's not just like, oh, they're threatening the FBI. Like a man tried to go into the FBI in Ohio. Right. And another man was arrested for plotting against an FBI agent. I mean, these aren't like just hypothetical threats they are real and actual and people are involved and one man is dead as a result of his choice to go and try to attack the fbi i mean speak to the invitation to violence and even more violence because of the way the republican party just behaves how they move right Right. now it just they they always go back to the violence yeah and and this uh, again was another sort of tragic uh uh, creation of the uh, 1994 uh, Republican Revolution. Uh, the idea was they were going to. Uh, this was also a time of growth in these militias, these patriot groups, uh, and there was there was a lot of uh, winking and nods at them and bringing them more into the fold. The rhetoric back then is eerily similar to what we're hearing now. Yep. Uh, you know, when the black helicopters of the government, the yep. jackbooted thugs of the government. Uh, Gordon Liddy on the radio was saying uh, that you. You should uh, shoot head uh, uh, ATF agents, uh, go for a headshot. Uh, uh, a lot of talk about the government is coming to get you. Uh, we heard that again with the Tea Party in 2010 and 2011. You remember there was a whole rash of uh, violence and threats against uh, Democratic uh, lawmakers back then. Now, look, there is, you know, the right doesn't uh, uh, have a monopoly on political violence. Uh, anybody can be violent regardless of ideology. What happened here, though, is there at the highest levels of the party, there was sort of a winking at the violence, uh, ref- uh, re- a reflection of that rhetoric that was essentially saying uh, it's OK, uh, an invitation uh, to that violence. And, uh, you know, what we've seen certainly with the, the growth of these uh, right-wing extremist violence uh, in recent years, it's all the more dangerous now when you have people out there saying, they're coming for you, mm-hmm. uh, the FBI is corrupt, uh, they're after you, nobody is safe. Well, when you're, you know, when you're unstable and unbalanced to begin with, and it's so easy to get a weapon, it, you, you know where this sort of rhetoric is gonna lead. And they definitely don't want anybody to be prohibited from getting any weapon they want. Um, what should, Republicans, if they were responsible, say 
right? I mean, one of the things that I don't necessarily think we talk enough about is what we should be hearing from Republicans if we were in a world where they wanted to stop inciting violence. So they're not doing this. But if we were in a world where they were doing this, what would they sound like? What would it actually sound like to be a responsible Republican in this moment? Well, I think you'd sound a lot like Liz Cheney and you'd be booted out of the party with <laughs> by, by 40 percentage points. But, you know, look, after Mar-a-Lago, what would be a, 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 a responsible leader would be saying, all right, well, this is concerning. Let's get the facts. Uh, and it's all it's all fair game to say the Justice Department better be uh, putting out uh, information about what they're looking for. I was saying that. I suspect you were saying that. We want mm-hmm. to know. We want our government uh, to be transparent. Uh, it's very different to say that you need to destroy the FBI, that you need to break it up into a thousand pieces to suggest that uh, uh, somebody's trying to assassinate uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and even at the highest levels of the party, Kevin McCarthy uh, saying they're weaponizing uh, the, the uh, American justice system against the people. Um, that is, is reckless. Uh, it has a, a, a predictable uh, result that we are now seeing in terms of the threats, in terms of uh, uh, actual violence. So a, a responsible leader would be saying, "Okay, yes, I'm I'm concerned about what this what this uh, search, uh, not a raid, what this search mm-hmm. actually." I means. did that too this morning. It's not your fault. Yeah. They did right. it. No, they yeah, came, right, right. They it brainwashed court, us. Trump did it. It is a court-ordered search, not an <laughs> FBI raid, um, but. Uh, would be saying, okay, let's get more information out there. Let's demand answers. It would not be saying the government is out to get you because we know what that does. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what's strange about the fact that they keep saying that is that I don't see a lot. So just for example, I don't see a ton of evidence that the police are out to get white Republicans. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? In your timeline, you don't really see the police mm-hmm. killing of a white Republican often. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't, I've never seen that on my timeline. Um, so, <laughs> so, so I, and I say that almost in almost jokingly, but like also like this is, is true. Right. So, so the idea that they are being somehow oppressed or like targeted by law enforcement when mm-hmm. it's black people and Brown people who are frequently on our timelines yeah. getting killed mm-hmm. for no reason. I mean, I covered one story early on in my Peacock show um, where somebody was walking into their own house. I mean, this has happened before. That's why mm-hmm. you sort of differentiate, but literally walking into their own house and got killed by the police walking into their own house. Mm-hmm. Like, I, And so it's just like, I've never seen a white Republican experience that. So yeah. where are they getting this idea that they're actually the target of government oppression when there is no yeah. evidence of that? Well, it's this politics of victimization. Uh, and that is uh, what uh, has propelled uh, Donald Trump uh, to some extent. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what underlies this, uh, the, the whole uh, great replacement, you know, the, the, the racist conspiracy theory, the idea um, that there is uh, this conspiracy afloat that people are deliberately trying to victimize uh, white Americans to erase them uh, and their uh, place in the culture. Uh, and that is very deliberately uh, being put into place. You know, we were talking earlier about the emerging uh, white minority uh, in this country. Uh, so you don't want to be, if you're the Republican Party, you don't want to have that as your demographic because it's a declining demographic. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is, if you frighten these people, particularly non-college educated 
white male Americans uh, into thinking that they are going to re be replaced, uh, that, they're, that they're losing everything that they are. Uh, well, you know what? They're going to turn out uh, in very high numbers to vote. And that was the, that was the whole notion uh, behind Trump's success. Um, you know, take, say white evangelical Christians, 15% of the population, 25% of the electorate, 40% of Donald Trump's base. Uh, if you can get them, at least in the short run, to turn out because they're frightened, they're scared to death because of the rhetoric you're using, you can still win elections. You can't win elections in the long run because the demographics are just uh, prohibitive. But uh, if you can play on these uh, unreasonable uh, fears, uh, you, can, uh, you can still win elections in the short run. It has all this collateral damage, which we're seeing all over our country. Uh, but that's to, to the extent there's a deliberate theory behind it, that's it. That is really, really important. In terms of this idea that we are headed towards a civil war. What do you think about that? Because obviously they're talking about a civil war. I mean, even in my early TV segment days when I would go on Fox News, they were talking about a civil war. Like back then, they were talking mm -hmm. about a race war during the Obama administration. So this is mm -hmm. not new rhetoric for them. I think the evidence sort of fruits of that rhetoric haven't been in the open, uh, you know, as much as they are post-insurrection, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but what do you think about this idea that that's where we're headed? Or if is that sort of overstating where we are um, at this moment? Well, you know, it, it is if you're thinking of a civil war like, you know, the 1860s when you have armies charging at each other. That, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, but, you know, it's, it's uh, when, the, when the right wingers, when the Fox News is talking about civil war, they're trying to uh, incite people to, uh, you know, to, uh, to talk about violence. Uh, but if we look at civil wars, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine, Barb Walter, wrote a whole book about this. You know, look at the, the conditions that create civil wars in other countries, traditionally less stable countries. Uh, we are having a lot of those conditions right now. It's the breakdown of democracy and turning us into an anocracy where you're sort of in between authoritarianism uh, and democracy. So that is indeed uh, fruitful ground for a civil war. I don't think that's what uh, you know, pro-Trump social media is talking about now. They're just trying to you know, rile people to arms and, and again, fill people with terror uh, and with paranoia, but the very notion of, uh, of, you know, sort of a modern civil war where there's low level violence over a long period of time, that's a very real thing. That's a, it's a very real possibility. And what's the danger of them running for like school board? Cause I, that's also the, the other piece of this, like, you know, there, there, there's obviously violence, but then there's also like dismantling the system because they're with, they're inside of the system and they don't believe in the system. So they're not actually going to, you know, they don't have any investment in it functioning properly. And that scares me too. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it is a whole litany of things to be scared about. So it, it, can, it can be, it can be quite overwhelming. And are we, you know, the, the school board question, I think gets to back to what, what we're learning about. Are we going to, you know, learn about our history? Are we going to learn about sexuality? And the whole idea is, you know, basically it's, it's similar to what has happened in a lot of authoritarian countries with memory laws that control what you can learn about the past because that, uh, you know, shapes your understanding uh, of the present. So, you know, that's why that matters but of course the uh you know the maga republicans are you know uh, quite uh, uh smartly getting involved at all levels of politics whether it's the school board uh certainly in the state legislatures uh, we're seeing it that uh, you know a, 
a host of anti-democratic measures have uh, seized the uh, uh, the red states. Well, I just I guess that was a really good conversation. And I don't even have any way to button it up because it's like <laughs> it's very concerning, but also I have hope. Yes, people can people can still vote. Right. That's, as long as like we're still late. We just had an election. Liz Cheney lost. Yes. She did her speech in front of the sunset. As long as that's still the case. That's exactly it. Democracy. That's it, Zerlina. And that's why I, I wrote the book, because I want yeah. to, uh, you know, mobilize people who still believe in, you know, small d democracy. Uh, you know, we, we, we are gradually losing the uh, instruments of democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but uh, uh, we have the ability to fight back and to push back. There are more of us, uh, to put it this way, than of them. There are more people who believe uh, in the American experiment. So that, that's the reason for hope. We just got to mobilize. We got to mobilize. Well, that's the message. Uh, the book is The Destructionist, The 25-Year Crack-Up of the Republican Party. It is out right now. It is a great book. I definitely recommend picking it up. Dana Milbank from The Washington Post. Thank you so much for being here. It's been great to have you. Great conversation. Thanks, Arlene. I enjoyed it. Stay safe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.